you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, welcome to City on a Hill. It is good to be with you. If this is your first time here or your thousandth time here, probably haven't had a thousand services, but almost, uh, you are welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, My name's Nick. I get the joy of being the lead pastor of this church and today the joy of unpacking the Scriptures with you. So as Lily said, if you do have a Bible, whether smartphone version, whether paper version, whether papyrus version, whatever it looks like, we'd love for you to come with me to Luke chapter 8. You have joined us in the middle of what is a uniquely short sermon series for us at City on Hill, just three weeks uh, in a series called Compel. Uh, We want to help equip you to take Jesus to your friends, your family, your colleagues, co-workers, your sports teams, your universities, as we heard about. Uh, And so we are going to be looking at how we might be uh, people who compel those in our lives to come and join us in trusting in Jesus. Last week, we talked about our posture toward the world Today we're going to talk about our persuasion or how we might go about sharing Jesus. So I'm going to pray together. I know we just essentially prayed through song. We're now going to pray in speech. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. And as we look upon your word now, Lord, give us vision. Lord, we ask that we might see you. And you might be to us as big and as bold and as beautiful as you really are. And so remove everything from us that might domesticate you or minimize you and help us see the real Jesus. Help us hear the real story and how we find our place in the story of what you are doing in human history in the world. And so come and build us and feed us and grow us and anoint us with your spirit, we pray, that together we might be your witnesses. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that all God's people said together, Amen. Let me start uh, this morning by telling you about the geekiest thing I have ever done. The geekiest thing I have ever ever done. Look, I was young. uh, And when I was young, wrestling, like world championship wrestling with Hulk Hogan kind of wrestling, it was a big thing when I was young. Uh, And I was in primary school at this time. And I was so young that I would watch this kind of wrestling and have to think to myself, is this real? Is that a real punch? Is this a real narrative? Is that real anger? I I, I was so young, it would take me a minute to to work it out. Uh, But then I would take that interest one step further. Uh, This is back in the early days of the internet for those who are younger. uh, At that time, if someone called the house while you're on the internet, you were no longer on the internet. Uh, It would take more time for your 33.6 kilobyte per second modem to fire up again. Uh, And at this point in time, the the whole internet was like message boards. It's almost like every website was just a a message board. There was a search engine. The best search engine at the time was Yahoo, which had previously just just kind of replaced AltaVista. And it was amazing, these search engines, because you could type something in the search engine, press search, and relevant topics would come up dependent on what you put in the search box. It was incredible at the time. No one had ever conceived of such things. Uh, But it was very early days, and so most of the websites were hosted by Angel Fire, and they had word art on them, uh, and they didn't look very attractive at all. And the geekiest thing that I ever did 
was that I created an e-wrestler. I created an e-wrestler. Now, technically, I stole this this wrestler from my older brother, uh, but he became mine. And e-wrestling was this role-playing uh, where you, you write in the, the narrative of how your wrestler would wrestle on any particular week. Uh, and it would be a competition of who could write the most compelling and creative stories. And so I had my wrestler, his name was Firestorm. Uh, and he, he entered his matches to Fuel by Metallica. Uh, and he was a two-time US champion, by the way. Uh, and how it worked was that each fantasy wrestler around the world would, would write these compelling stories. It had to be a story that, that kind of was dramatic. It was detailed around how the fight would play out. It was emotive. It would draw together your knowledge of, of the, the wrestling world. You needed to move the reader. And you needed to add to people's understanding. And then you'd send it into the, the moderator of the particular wrestling federation. And the moderator would receive all these, these stories from the e-wrestlers, and then they themselves would write this compelling, creative night of wrestling. And so you would uh, wake up uh, one day next week, and you would dial up the internet. Half an hour later, you'd be online, and then you'd be able to read uh, what had happened and whether you had won, and your story was victorious. The best story would win. The best story would win. And that's really the bottom line of of why I'm actually uh, telling you the geekiest thing that I've ever done. Uh, Because I want you to remember that the the best story wins. The best story wins. That's not just true for fantasy wrestling. It's true for the world. And it's true for our hearts. It's true for your heart. It's true for my heart. As humans, for us, the best story wins. That is, it, it wins our hearts. And that's a very important concept that you and I need to grasp when it comes to thinking about our mission in the world. The best story wins. In 2017, a psychologist named Jonathan Haidt, he authored a social psychology book called The Righteous Mind, and he used an analogy, a picture, a vision uh, of a rider and an elephant, a big elephant and, and someone riding the elephant. And he used that illustration to describe how our minds, how our opinions, how our priorities, how our decision-making works. He says that you and I, human beings, that we are like a a rider and an elephant, that there are two elements to our psychology. We have the rational, logical, thought-through part of ourselves, and that represents the the rider on the elephant, elephant, and and we like to think ourselves as that rider. We like to think ourselves, don't we, as as rational, thought-out, considered people, that we're mainly convinced by argument mainly convinced by thinking things through. Sometimes we might see ourselves as kind of just brains on a stick that make all our decisions rationally, with great thought and reason. But Haidt shows in this particular book that we also have an emotional part of ourselves, and that emotional part is packed with the lifetime of our habits and our rituals, and our lifestyle, and our experiences, and our emotions, and our memories, and our intuition. And that is the elephant. And the author makes the case that for us as humans to actually indeed change our mind, and change direction, or be persuaded by something, we can't just give of ourselves to facts logic, figures, and reason. No, we actually need to go after the elephant. Be captivated by vision, 
by emotion, by gravitas, and by story. And so I bring all this up because, as I said today, we are talking about persuasion. We're talking about how to reach our friends, our family, our colleagues, people in our lives, and help them consider Jesus, and we hope, ultimately trust in Jesus. Perhaps you've had my experience where you've had perhaps chances to discuss Jesus uh, with people, opportunities to unpack the gospel. And perhaps in those conversations, you've been able to unpack the, the concepts of, of sin and, and grace and forgiveness and eternity. And you get to the, the end of the content that you know. And you're already thinking about just how influential you're being in this person's life and how you know, revival will surely come because they're about to respond. And you kind of leave that gap at the end of having presented your data and there's nothing. No response. No seeming interest. It's the, the, the equivalent of a, a shoulder shrug. I'm sure there are many reasons why people might not uh, respond how we might like to our invitation to trust in Jesus. But sometimes, I want us to consider, like I have for myself, sometimes I feel like our, our attempts to help people are as inspiring and as interesting as kind of the, the text box of terms and conditions that come up when you update Microsoft Word. As in, not very. And so we need to think about what is most helpful for people. Think better about how we might persuade people. And so what I want to do is, is look at this story that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower. Seemingly, as just as I've shared, Jesus himself considered story very important in winning people and compelling people. Because he very literally and also figuratively entered into the world of his hearers to try to compel them with stories. So last week we, we saw that our posture toward the world should be the ingredients of humility and dependency and intentionality and urgency. And so this talk today is a bit of that kind of double-clicking in on intentionality, to how we can be a bit more intentional about telling people about Jesus, how to engage our neighbours well. And if you are here and you yourself are not a Christian, perhaps you're here just exploring, welcome. We love you and we are thankful that you are with us. And I just want to be upfront. It's true, we really want you to trust in Jesus. We would really love you to know Jesus. We love you. God loves you. We believe God made you and he made you to know him. And so I hope you can see why it's important that we would want to share Jesus because we believe Jesus is the only hope that we have as humans. And so that's why we sometimes gather to talk about how we might be able to tell you about Jesus. And so if you do have your Bibles, come with me to Luke chapter 8 verse 4 for the beginning of the parable of the sower. And so just to lay the, or set the scene, uh, Jesus in this uh, section for the few chapters leading up to this has been traveling around an area called Galilee, preaching and teaching with people. And we read our very first verse here, that when a great, a great crowd was, was gathering and people from town to town came to him. And so Jesus is going to them from town to town preaching, but also people from town to town are following him to go to Jesus. And his fame was increasing 
And as people are gathering around, Jesus stops to tell a story. Let's look at the story and then the explanation that Jesus gives. He tells this parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus tells a story about a sower, uh, a spreader of seed. And if we were one of the original hearers who had known that Jesus was going from town to town spreading his message, we might hear this story and think, hey, Jesus, I think, is probably trying to tell us something cryptic about himself as this sower of seed. But the focus here isn't so much the sower, it is on the seed. We notice that there is indiscriminate spreading of the seed. Someone is is obviously going out and and just not really caring where it lands, just that it does land somewhere, that it's it's getting out there. It wants the the seed needs to, to go forth. But where it does land determines the response that it gets. And then Jesus suggests there at the end that that, that interesting phrase suggests that not everyone's going to quite pick up what he's putting down here. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As I'm sure the disciples, uh, perhaps they've got front row seats to this story, and so they want to lean in on what what exactly, do we we have ears to hear? What what are you you saying, Jesus? So they ask Jesus, can you please unpack what you're actually trying to say? And that leads us to the interaction that follows in in verse 9. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given them to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus starts his explanation with with a very surprising truth. He tells us that his stories are geared to expose people. His parables have this effect, that one of the reasons he tells stories is so that some people would understand and have their heart changed and, and lean into him and then trust in him and live for him. And like these disciples, when they hear Jesus, they want to know more. They're intrigued. They're interested. They lean in. And so they ask Jesus. Perhaps there's others in the crowd who, who hear the stories of Jesus and, and they're cut to the heart because they see themselves in those stories whether this one or others. But Jesus, and he uses a a quote from Isaiah to say this, he's saying here that another reason that he speaks in parables is so that some people would not understand and that they would remain in their blindness and go on in unbelief. See, some people hear these parables and they aren't cut to the heart at all. There's seemingly no response. They just say, cool story, bro. And so the words of Jesus have this unique ability to uncover and expose the heart and to draw out varying reactions. That tells us that our response to Jesus is perhaps the the most important thing about us. That how we respond when we hear Jesus tell a story, how, how we respond when we hear the words of Jesus, the word of God, the Scriptures, well, it's, it's, it's a keystone conviction that affects all the other convictions we could have. What we think of Jesus matters most of all. What we think of Jesus matters most of all. 
C.S. Lewis has that famous kind of diagnostic. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? That all of us, in some way, will place Jesus in one of those categories in our lives. We might not do it consciously. We might not think about it every day. But the Jesus of history, the Jesus of reality, is going to be put in one of those categories by all of us. Because he demands a response. And that's what he goes on to explain as he then unpacks the parable from verse 11 onwards. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. And as for the good sort, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And so Jesus confirms for us that the seed is indeed the message. The seed is the word of God. The soil or the path or where it lands is our heart. And that seed needs to be shared indiscriminately to the hearts of all people. One commentator says about this section that this is as near as Jesus ever comes to telling us what he's all about, telling us what his mission in the world is. That his way of speaking and acting is to give men and women the greatest opportunity to respond to the Word of God, to give all of us the greatest opportunity to respond. Now, the point to the disciples is clear because as the Word is spread indiscriminately, there's going to be those varying responses. And let's think just for a moment about those responses. Some people will hear, and because of some kind of spiritual activity, they're going to immediately tune out. There's no engagement. Some people will hear and they'll immediately be all in, but only for a very short time because they don't go so deep and they give up when it's hard. Some will buy into it, but just a little bit because they'll soon start shriveling as the comforts and the pleasures and the distractions of life choke out the word. And still others, they will hear. And they will repent and believe and they will go on in their faith and their hearts will change and they will bear fruit. They will bear a lot of fruit. Now, as we think about those four responses, where do you see yourself in those responses? Because Jesus is talking about your heart. He's talking about my heart. He's talking about uh, all the hearts that could possibly be hearted in the world. That we are all in one of those categories. How's the word of God landed in your heart. We take from this that indifference is dangerous. Shallowness is dangerous. Distraction is dangerous. And what Jesus is wanting us to do is to receive his word as authoritative over our lives and respond in humble trust and obedience. That is what it looks like to be good soil, to bear fruit. And so why is Jesus telling this story to his disciples right now? He's gone around preaching and teaching. And now he's telling his disciples what it looks like to go around preaching and 
teaching. He wants them to get their expectations right. And he wants them to get their responsibility right. What he's telling them, and through them, us, is that our responsibility is to sow the seed. Our responsibility is to spread the word. But our responsibility is not to conjure up a certain response. And so for our time today, I want us to consider that responsibility and consider through that our opportunity to spread the word of Jesus in our own day, in our own time, in our own circles, neighborhoods, and networks. We want to be like Jesus, and we want to spread God's word. Now, God's word is a story. God's word is a story with a beginning, a story with an end, a story with a hero, a story with an enemy, a story with subjects, you and me, who need to be rescued. But that's not often the story that our society thinks about when it thinks about what we're doing in the world right now, is it? An author named Sam Chan uh, is a great preacher and lecturer on personal evangelism. I've learned a lot from him and he's been particularly helpful as I think about evangelism. Uh, and so a helpful book that I commend to you, and perhaps I'll post the link in our Facebook group during the week. He's got this great little book called How to Share Jesus or How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. Now, he's Australian, and in this book, he dives into what is the story that most of our neighbours would consider about how the world is, is playing out right now. And he describes the story something like this, that essentially in the Western world, we're, we're told that sometimes subtly and other times not so subtly, that humanity used to believe in fairies and in gods and goddesses and in unicorns. But we've become now enlightened. We've become scientific. We've become rational. And so we need to keep going and keep throwing off all that old school baggage, those superstitions. We need to realize that, that we're just atoms and we're just, we're just molecules. And if we realize that, we can be free to be who we really are. And so everybody just needs to get with the program to courageously throw off what's holding us back and be true to ourselves, to discover our authentic self within and pursue our full potential. As we live our lives, we can either join those who are progressing along toward this future, or we can be left behind on the wrong side of history. That's a, that's a compelling story that shapes our society. And there might be parts within it that, that resonate and they hold true for us. Perhaps we have thrown off having to stay at home with our parents or fall into line with what our parents did for work or left the, the small country town and entered into the big smoke. Perhaps we're being rewarded throughout our lives for our risk-taking and, and going into to new areas. But that's all the story is. It makes sense of the Western world for us because of our sense of privilege and our autonomy, the freedoms that we have, ironically, most of which, which came because they arose from a society which held to Christian truths. But this is a story that's compelling. And it's compelling for your neighbours and it can be compelling for us because it helps us make sense of the world. But it's also true that conspiracy theories help us make sense of the world. It's also true that, that fake news is compelling. Fake news is persuasive because it's packaged in a story. It has explanatory power for our experience. And so what I want us to see from... Uh, 
this passage, Luke chapter 8, and from our understanding of how best to engage people, is that we're called to tell a better story. That our responsibility is to tell a better story. And the way we should go about our mission in the world is not primarily about downloading data onto the people in our circles, but to help them hear the Word of God through story. And so for the rest of our time together, I've got three particular tips to help shape us as we engage our friends and family and neighbours and colleagues. Uh, The first one's very simple. Know the story. Know the story. As Jesus said, the seed is the Word of God. You know, the, the Bible is a story. The Bible is one book made up of 66 mini books, some of them longer than others, all written over a period of 1,400 years by upwards of 40 different authors. And yet they all come together in a consistent way from the Old Testament through to the New, some of which is historical and some of which points to the future, tells a story. It tells us a very compelling story. Now, often we don't give kind of much credence to the story because it comes to us in an intimidating package. Maybe at home you've got kind of an old school leather bound black book and it's over a thousand pages. It just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't grab you. It doesn't seem compelling. But the Bible is a story, a story of the past, a story about the present and a story of the future. And so the first step for us to tell a better story is to know the story, to know that better story for ourselves. So do you know the story of the Bible? Are you familiar with the story of the Scriptures? It's a very summary, tweeted version. You know, God made us, and God injected us when he made us with with real responsibility to oversee his creation. Uh, But we all ignored that, particularly our first parents whom he made first ignored that and wanted to be like God ourselves. And that meant that we were put out of God's presence because God is beautiful. God is holy. God is righteous. And that meant that we were therefore apart from the source of life itself, God who made us. And so being cut off from him, we were spiritually dead, separated and unable to enter his presence. But God wanted a people for himself. He made us for him after all. And so he took a man from Iraq who couldn't have kids and he made out of him a family, a family a great nation called Israel. And he he rescued that nation and he set them free and he oversaw that nation and he gave them his law about how life works best. And he fought for the nation and gave them a home and he dwelt with that nation in the middle of that holy city. But still his people had hearts. It was a deeper problem, something going on in their hearts. They wanted to be like God again themselves. And so they couldn't sustain faith. They couldn't sustain obedience. They couldn't keep the faith. And they kept wandering and started to create and carve out gods for themselves who might affirm who they really wanted to be. And so then God decided to come into the world himself. And so he took on flesh and he became a man from Nazareth. And he, that man, Jesus, lived perfectly. And he went around teaching and preaching about this story. And then he died And he died as a a substitute for all the people who had sinned against God and put themselves in his place. He put himself in our place where we deserve to be separated from God and dead in our sin. But then Jesus was, was raised again to new life on that first Easter Sunday. And that 
in that resurrection, Jesus was telling the world that, hey, he is the king and that actually he's defeated death and he's paid for that sin and he's done all that needed to be done to bridge that separation and to bring us back to be reconciled to God. And now, this Jesus, because the resurrection, since it, since it happened, his kingdom has, has started to come into the world. It's come in part and in one day it's going to come in full. That's the story. That's a story that is compelling. It's a story that tells us who we are. God made us. It tells us what's gone wrong. We've sinned and turned against him. It tells us what the solution is. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it tells us where we're going with Jesus in his kingdom. And so our mission as a church is to tell that story. To live out that story. That we might spread the seed of God's word by making that story known. And so let me encourage you, get to know that story. Feed upon the Bible. When you make it your mission in the morning or every day to have the story that's going on in your head shaped most powerfully by the story that's written down on the page, to have God's story shape more powerfully your story. Now, what's a helpful way to do that? Well, that brings us to number two. The first one is to know the story. The second is to know your story. Know your story. If you are trusting in Jesus, then that story that I just said, you uh, find yourself somewhere in there significantly impacted by what Jesus has done. Jesus has entered into your story and he started to disrupt it, interrupt it. And so a very, very powerful way of telling the story of the gospel is to tell your friends the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Maybe you get a chance to, to have a conversation about faith with someone in your life. Maybe you ask them uh, about their faith. Maybe they ask you about yours. Maybe you get asked why you go to church or why it is that you're a Christian. It's always a chance to tell your story. And sometimes we can think that our story isn't really a story. Uh, I grew up in a churched family. My dad was a pastor. His dad was a pastor. His father-in-law was a pastor. It's a very churched family. I, I grew up falling asleep on my mum's lap during church. Uh, and, and sometimes people who experienced growing up in church, we can think that, well, we don't really have a story. We don't really have a testimony. We have a very boring testimony. That's really all the more reason why we need to know the story because the story tells us that actually all of us, if we are trusting in Jesus, whether we grew up in church or grew out, up outside of church, we've gone from being dead to being alive. That sounds like a story. That sounds like something that, that I hope that the journalists would, would write in our day, it might be front page news, that someone could go from being dead to being alive. And so in my case, I went from my deadness in moralism and religious hypocrisy and the philosophy of trying harder to be accepted. I wanted to pave my own way. I wanted to be my own person, step out from my parents' shadow and be me. And then God made me alive. And God showed my individualism up for the pride that it was. And he gave me hope and he gave me joy. And he gave me this, this sense of being set free from the need to perform and show up and put on a front you know, Christianity is a supernatural religion. In your experience, as you think about your engagement with Jesus, maybe, maybe for you it starts by you raising a hand after a Sunday service or, or praying a particular prayer or one day just ultimately feeling like the, the, uh, the center of your faith shifted from your parents to you uh, or something like that. But, but 
but really, you didn't just raise a hand and you didn't just pray a prayer and you didn't just kind of one day wake up and, and sense, oh, now I think I actually do believe that, that Jesus is Lord. No, God raised you from the dead. God raised you from the dead. God made you alive in Christ, we're told, in Ephesians chapter 2. And that's a story. And so my encouragement is that, that when we're trying to tell people about the story of Jesus, we need to tell the story, and often to get to the story, we're able to talk about the ways God has shaped our story, who we were, what we lived for, but what Jesus did, and who we live for now. You can answer all those questions for yourself, and it's worth you thinking about that for yourself so that you have it there when you do have the opportunity to talk about why it is that you might go to church, why it is that you might be a Christian Jesus has made the difference. And that leads to my final encouragement. There's no the story, no your story. Number three, connect their story with the story. Connect their story with the story. So you've got the story, you've got your story. And when you're wanting to share Jesus, it's important to remember that everybody has a story, even those who haven't yet come to know Jesus. Sam Chan says that when it comes to mission, a lot of us have the same emotional experience as when we're being friend-zoned. Any men brave enough to say you're in the friend-zone? You know the friend-zone. The friend-zone is where, where the guy is, is madly in love with the girl, but the girl just sees him as a friend. And so the guy knows internally that you know, he can't play it too strong because he's going to drive her away. But he doesn't want to say nothing at all because then she would never know and he might not have his chance. He needs to shoot his shot but he's in the friend zone. And we have a similar dynamic in evangelism, hopefully without the romance. Though I remember uh, Calvin told his story last week that uh, you know, he was, he was fl- the, the victim of flirt to convert, but that's okay. <laughs> well done, Lynette. We want people to trust in Jesus. But if you play it too strong, you're going you're gonna to drive people away. But if you don't play at all, if you don't say anything at all, someone might not have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. So one of the ways to avoid either end of that dilemma is to ask your friends about themselves. We all like talking about ourselves. Ask your friends about themselves. What do they think about faith? What experience have they had engaging with the Christian message? What background do they have when it comes to religion? Of course, we should generally try to know people. People aren't projects. They're people. And we love them, irrespective of whatever soil it is, irrespective of whatever response they have. We love people because they're made in God's image, but we hope for people to find the hope that we have in Jesus. And so as you start a conversation, instead of talking only about yourself, start to bring Jesus in to connect to their story. Now, I recently had an opportunity to do this last week. went out uh, for lunch with a couple of people. One, a friend who's uh, not a Christian, not going to church. And it turned out, I didn't know this, that, that he grew up uh, going to a Catholic church until his teenage years. And he was very involved, as, uh, got confirmed and, and, and all that, uh, in the Catholic church. But he had no encounter or conception of, of Christianity beyond a kind of a very religiosity, kind of stale version of it. That's part of the problem with our modern world, isn't it? That they have ideas about Jesus, perhaps haven't actually engaged with the Jesus of the Bible. And so I had the chance to tell him about the Jesus that I belong to. And so I had in my head one of my favorite stories 
that Jesus tells. And I'll, I'll tell you the story as we finish up. One of my favorite stories that, that Jesus tells, and it's particularly helpful to tell people who have grown up with some kind of religious or, or baggage. And that's the story of, of two men who walk into church. They walk into a temple. Uh, one of them is a Pharisee, the, the religious elite. Always got the A pluses in Christian studies uh, in, univer- in high school. The other was a tax collector. Someone who was frowned upon, a social outcast, someone who knew that this person was in bed with the Romans and so all the Jews were kind of shunning them because they thought they were deceitful. In fact, they, they were. So these two men walk into a temple. Jesus tells us this story near the end of the book of Luke. And he's telling it to people who trust in themselves, we're told. And he tells us that the, the Pharisees, he walked into church, he, he found himself a, a place there in the middle, somewhere where he might be seen, And he prayed loudly, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Lord, I I, I give of my tithes. I tithe of of everything that that you give me. I memorize the scriptures. I I come to church each and every week, early even, uh, 8.58 every Sunday morning. It's incredible. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, especially that tax collector over there that I can see out of the corner of my eye. Thank you that you've saved me from being him. And then Jesus zooms into what the tax collector was praying. And the tax collector was, was back there in the corner in the dark. Didn't really want to be noticed. He was, he was coming in humbly. Didn't want to be seen. And we're told that all he did was, was beat his breast in grief. And he said, God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And Jesus tells us something radical, especially radical for those who trusted in themselves. That actually it was the tax collector who went home to his house justified, that is, approved of, not guilty, accepted, saved, in right relationship with God. And Jesus told that story because he wants us to see that the gospel isn't about religious conformity. The gospel isn't about putting on this this package of of religious or moral performance and therefore through that, seeing ourselves as, as better than other people. The gospel is about God coming down to earth to us to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And I told that story to my friend. I, I don't know how it landed. I don't know whether he went to bed at night and put his, house, his, his face on the pillow and, and thought more uh, about that. But that's not my job. My responsibility is to spread the seed, to spread the word of God. Your responsibility is to find ways that you might be able to connect the story, specifically perhaps stories Jesus told, into the story of your friends, the story of your family, the story of your co-workers. We have a chance to tell them about the Jesus that we belong to, the one who invites us, forgives us, and sets us free. In him, we can find freedom from dead religion. In him, we can find freedom so that we might be able to walk with him authentically, genuinely, honestly, and humbly. And we might be able to approach our lives and approach our relationships knowing that we're being put there for a purpose, that we might be the sower in that moment. Our responsibility is to spread the word of God. We have a story. We have a message. We have good news to share with the world. And so let me encourage you to share God's story. Know the story. To share your story. Know your story, and then to love people well by connecting their story with the story. Remember, the best story wins. Let's pray.
Gracious God, we thank you for that reality that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are therefore find ourselves separated from you under your judgment and wrath and in need of rescue and redemption. Lord, I thank you that you have come and lit our hearts up from death to life so that we might see Jesus as he really is, that we might know Jesus, that we might love Jesus and help us be a people now that want to share Jesus. Lord, help us be a people who, like this sower, go out into the field, a place where we're exposed, a place where it might be a bit more vulnerable, but help us go with the seed. Help us go with your word. Help us go with your story. And may we be a people who indiscriminately spread the seed of your word, your good news, so that like us, others might taste and see that you and your gospel is good. And so give us courage, give us wisdom, give us passion for people in our lives who don't know you. Lord, we might put before them your good news and that you might work in their hearts, that their hearts might be good soil to receive it. And so bless us as we go. Help us step into this week confident that the ways that you have shaped us are the ways that you want to disrupt and shape other people in our lives. Let us not hold on to what we have, but look to share it and share it generously. Be with us, I pray. Empower us. Apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.